Welcome to the Once and Future Authors Podcast. I'm Stephanie, and I am so delighted to be joined today by author Meredith Stoddard. Meredith is the author of the Once and Future book series. I was so excited when she approached me about being on the podcast. I said, the Once and Future author podcast has been crying out for the Once and Future book series author to join us. Not to mention the books are just phenomenal and I'm absolutely in love with these covers. So please welcome Meredith Stoddard. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, I am absolutely thrilled to have you. And, and you have stills for us. Where are you piping in from today? I am in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, ah, okay. About halfway between DC and Richmond. Is it like a thousand degrees there today? It is in the 90s. <laughs> I'm glad for the air conditioner in my little writing chef. <laughs> absolutely. Now, is that a blackboard I see behind you? Are you in a classroom? No, I am in my writing shed. Um, and I actually, uh, fortunately, before the pandemic, um, we built this shed um, out in our backyard. And this is where I come to kind of shut the world and the family away and get and try to get work done. So that's the blackboard is what I use for plotting books. If you're at all familiar with the Save the Cat beat sheets, I've kind of got the sort of um, 15 beats mapped out and I like to jot things down as I think of them so do you have 15 boards and I can only see four no I just have four boards okay I just divide them up fantastic well I'm so glad that you mentioned that because one of the first things I always am so curious about is is what kind of I'll say method people are using and we range on this show from the you know I don't know I just kind of sit down and my fingers do the walking and 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 you are you are appealing to the the type a kind of you know methodical person that I am so could you just for our listeners give a little overview and explanation of that save the cat beat sheet um sure so if uh save the cat is kind of a um it's originally the series was about um screenwriting but uh, they also expanded out to a book called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And um, there are some others as well that kind of follow the same sort of principle, which is that you have a certain number of beats to the story. These are things that you want to hit. And it's a, it's a great framework for story structure. I wouldn't call it a formula because, of course, um, that's verboten. We don't want, you know, to be formulaic. But, um, but it does give you a it does give you a framework for keeping your plot moving. And I know a lot of writers kind of get bogged down sometimes in the middle of their story. And this is, um, you know, having some kind of structure like that's a great way to keep yourself from doing that um, and kind of give yourself a framework. So um, that, and it has sort of beat sheets that are divided up into um, acts, almost just like a play or a screenplay. And, um, and it's just gives you a really good way of keeping the story moving, keeping the reader with you, um, which uh, is, of course, vital and, um, and kind of just giving you a direction to go in. I'm, I, I know, like you said, there are different types of writers. Some people call them pantsers and plotters, and some people call them um, 
I can't remember. It's like gardeners and ah uh, yes, and discovery um, writers. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> discovery writers. That's and another yes, one. Yes, yes, and um, yeah, and I don't think that you necessarily have to be one or the other. Um, I certainly like I plot a lot, and I get very specific. Um, when I'm laying out what I think the book should be, but that doesn't mean it's always the way ends up that way. Um, You know, very often I will get surprises along the way and characters show up that sometimes end up with bigger roles than I planned and, um, you know, stuff like that. But I like having that kind of roadmap, you know, there, that plot, that plan for where I'm going um, so that when I get bogged down with distractions or running the business things or whatever, I can at least kind of glance down and see a bird's eye view of this is the story. This is where it's going. This is where I am right now. And, you know, how do we keep moving? So oh, you explain that so beautifully. And, and especially because I am such a plotter in my life by nature. And <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's why I said you and I are cut from the same cloth. I love the way you explained it, though, that that the planning is an asset, but it is not to get in the way of what could happen. And in a sense, you know, I'm like a huge, I'm a huge traveler and a vacation planner. And I'm the type of person that I have planned everything like what what we are eating for breakfast on the morning of the 25th. And I've Mm -hmm. even looked at the menu online, but but that doesn't mean that some of the most wonderful moments haven't happened just randomly because of circumstance. And I actually find that all of those plans leave me more open to possibilities because I have a safety net. Like I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. So now I'm not, you know, and I think if I'm going to just talk in travel terms, if someone didn't plan, they're probably never leaving their hotel room. They're just you know, they don't actually have any place to go. So by you setting out this plan and making sure that the beats are all, you know, giving you a nice story arc so that your readers pulled along, it gives mm-hmm. you an, an openness to the possibilities. And you said that so beautifully. And I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And sometimes those detours are the best. Absolutely. You know, but Absolutely. at the same time, you still kind of bring it back to the story that you're trying to tell. And, and you're so right in that, you know, when you're talking about writing a book, we're talking, you know, lots of words, folks. Um, you know, back when we were all in grade school, we were taught that, you know, you should have a paragraph with, you know, what are you going to say? And then the three paragraphs that are each your three big points, and then you get, you wrap it up. And we learned this. And now that we're turning into 250, 300 words, you know, these types of things help to make sure that a we get to the point because right some (laughs) people don't (laughs) and that we engage the reader so you did you you gave a great description of what that whole story structure is and I so appreciate that um can you tell our viewers a little bit about the once in future series sure um well, if you're at all familiar with Arthurian legends, um, of course, King Arthur is the once and future king, right? Um, and I kind of, the sort of jumping off point for me um, when was thinking about what, what if that future part of once and future was now? Like, what would that look like now? And, um, and I was sort of taking it from the perspective of, you know, how would that come about? And the series starts with sort of 
the previous generation to the once and future, the future king, um, and how, you know, his parents might get together and how, um, you know, and the main character of the series is really the mother of the king. And she is, um, a, mo a very modern woman. So a lot of the series is her sort of learning about this destiny and figuring out what she's going to do about it and whether or not she even believes it. Because I mean, if you think about a woman in, um, in this case, the 1990s, what would, what would, what would you have said if somebody walked up to you when you were in your mid twenties and said, Oh yeah, here, by the way, you know, <laughs> this is the plan for your life and you don't really have any choice in the matter. And I don't know anybody, um, any modern woman who would just be like, oh, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> so a lot of it has to do with her kind of coming to terms with that possible destiny. Now, you didn't know this, but when you and I were first connected and, and I saw what your books were about, I was so thrilled, not just because they were called The Once and Future, which goes with my whole, my whole theme here, but I was fortunate enough to travel to England Mm -hmm. and go to Glastonbury and stand at the supposed grave site. They have a grave site there in yeah. Glastonbury of King Arthur and Guinevere, and they have a grave. You know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm right there, believe in everything. So you know, <laughs> there's the grave yeah. and they had the tombstones. I have a million pictures. So when, when you came to me, I was like, oh, I am all about that. Cause I traveled thousands of miles to stand at the grave. That's so I don't know true. if you have had the chance in your research, are you, are you a travel research person? Do you actually go to the places? I am. Um, in this case, I went to Scotland to research it. Um, in the once in future world, Arthur is a Scot or was a Scot. Um, and uh, if you're in the in the real world, if you're at all familiar with the books uh, Finding Arthur and Finding Merlin uh, mm -hmm. by Adam Ardry, they're uh, very make a very interesting case for Arthur actually being a Scot. Um, and so, um, and the main character in the series, Sarah, her grandmother immigrated to uh, North Carolina from Scotland. So, um, so I went after writing the first book, I got to go to Scotland and research the area where, um, where Sarah's family comes from. Um, and, you know, do a bunch of other research all over uh, Edinburgh and Inverness and, um, and Sky and stuff like that. It was fantastic. It was oh a gosh. wonderful trip. My husband, my husband went with me, I think in part because he was afraid I wouldn't come back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was just fantastic. And going for research is, is fun. You know, you can go for touristy things, but if you're going to, you know, go to specific places and see specific things, you know, it's a lot of fun. My I drag my husband like to the grocery store um, and stuff. And he's like, why are we doing this? And I was like, because we have to see, you know, if we lived here, this is where we would be shopping. And, you know, we have to see that. So that's amazing. Um, yes. All, all of us writers want to be able to go on those kinds of trips and get the research right. I was very lucky to be, I mean, you can do a lot of research online, um, thanks to, you know, Google Earth and Google Street View is fantastic because you can walk around just about anywhere, um, you know, on, on from the comfort of your home, but it can't quite capture like the smell of a place or, um, you know, the ambient sounds of a place and things like that. Things that you can really connect to your senses and write that into, um, you know, into the 
the um, work that you're doing. I mean, we had, when we were in Scotland, we um, actually came across a, a lightning struck a field and it was pretty dry um, in the spring in that spring, we were there in April and, um, and set fire to some heather that was, uh, burning. And it was kind of a good sized brush fire, um, that blocked the road that was, that we we're going back to the B and B where we were staying. And, um, I will never forget that smell of burning heather. It's just, I mean, it's very unique and, you know, we would not have gotten that, you know, or the sound of the sheep in a particular area because in Scotland they will joke that sheep have accents. So sheep from sky sound different to sheep from, you know, Ascent or Sutherland or wherever. So um, yeah, we got to hear it all. <laughs> There's nothing like it. What got you interested in Arthurian legend in the first place? Um, you know, that's a great question. I mean, it's such a, it's, it's funny that culturally, I think it has such a hold on um, really Northern European society, not just English society or uh, British society, but um, there are Arthurian legends that, you know, permeate to Brittany and France and Germany. And, um, and uh, a lot of it kind of goes around the story of the Holy Grail mm -hmm. and that pursuit of this sort of unattainable idea of um of legend and what that is and what it means and so there were just so many questions about that and people um you know we as a society in various factions and at various times have filled those have tried to answer those questions with so many different things um that i thought you know why not it seems like a, a thing that we can address again and um, sort of try to fill in some of those blanks again. Um, and it's something that never seems to stop fascinating people. So exactly. And that's, um, and that's what led me to Glastonbury where mm -hmm. supposedly the Holy Grail ended up and is buried in what is now um, the chalice well, and it's, and it's a spring. So I, I, I have been on my own Arthurian hunt. Oh, that's Mine awesome. Led to the, the South, yours led to the North, and we have <laughs> this beautiful book series. <laughs> so tell me something. It sounds like the most fun part of writing was the research. Um, was there Probably. Any, <laughs> what about difficult? Was there any part of writing that you know, it was kind of unusually harder than you thought, or maybe they lost your luggage and the travel was both the best and the worst. I don't know. Yeah, the travel was fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's always, you know, when you're in that travel mode, I'm, I, while, while we plan these things, I also am totally like relaxed and ready to go with the flow because right, right, it's exactly. just fascinating. And especially when you're in a new place, you're just absorbing everything. Um, but no, I think probably the most difficult part is um, just getting to right. You know, I describe it to my husband sometimes um, before we built the shed where I can actually come out here. And, um, you know, it's it feels like the whole world conspires against you because when you do something that is, um, that is creative and, uh, and it's not something that is like showy, right? Like I'm not weaving, mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I mean, I knit, but I don't, uh, I'm not out there doing it all the time, but when you're writing so much of it is in your head and you're just sitting at the computer, it, it doesn't look like work. 
right? So people think that it's easy to just interrupt you or whatever. And, um, and so, you know, as a mother, I get up in the morning, I get my kids to school, I, you know, do this other stuff. And then maybe my mom calls or, you know, the school calls or something happens that kind of gets in the way of the sort of quiet that you need to focus on creating fiction. And um, so, yeah, I think the hardest part is just getting to right, which is another way that that roadmap comes in handy because it helps to be able to switch from that, you know, dealing with the world mode into dealing with, you know, the fictional world mode and my imaginary friends. Um, it helps to be able to just kind of look out and survey, you know, here's, here's that roadmap and here's where I'm going. And then, you know, put on some headphones and use music. I also use music to help kind of shut out distractions and use, you know, the right music and then start getting into the flow. But it's, um, that's probably the toughest part. Wow. Did you always want to be a writer? Were you like, yeah, (laughs) that one's easy. Yeah, I did. My parents will tell you that even before I learned to read or write, I was telling people stories and just making stories up. So I've always wanted to be a writer. It's just, you know, I mean, life, when you, when you're becoming an adult, life convinces you otherwise, you know, they're like, oh, well, you should get a mortgage and you should, you know, get married and do all these other things and get a job and have a career, um, you know, and stuff like that. Writing's like, uh, oh, I wish I could do it someday. And, um, you know, it's, I've always wanted to, and then I got laid off in 2008, which sort of forced me to, right. Cause I decided to stay home with my kids and I was like, but I still have to do something. So that became the thing that I did was finally finishing writing the book that I started the year I got married. Wow. So yeah, it took a long time. Yes. Cause I was going to say, it sounds like you have, um, kids, husband, mortgage, you know, all those things, <laughs> all those things. <laughs> yep. So your impetus to go pro, shall we say, um, was one of those, you know, when, when life hands you lemons. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, um, you know, I spent, um, a good 12 years in the corporate world, um, as an instructional designer and corporate trainer, and I was writing a lot. It just wasn't fiction. Um, and, um, and I, you know, then in 08, when the stock market crashed and the real estate market crashed, I found myself, um, without a job and I had young children and, Um, my husband's just said, you know, why do you need a job? Why don't you just stay home with the kids? And, um, that kind of gave me that freedom to go, oh yeah, okay. I could do that, (laughs) you know? And then, uh, just during nap times and, um, you know, quiet times, then I would just jot down the next bit of, of the story. Now tell me about the shed. Was it always on the property? Was it built new? How long have you had it? Um, we just built the shed. And, and when I say before the pandemic, it is literally before the pandemic. We, we started building it in January oh, wow. of 2020 and um, really finished um, the interior in February. So right before everything went you know, crazy, um, we had just finished the shed and it is 
absolutely great. Like, <laughs> um, I, you know, I used to write in cafes and, um, coffee shops and things like that, which is great. But when you're buying, you know, coffee all the time it ends up getting kind of expensive. And I thought about, um, and you have to deal with like people around you, like loud talkers and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I thought about maybe renting, a, like a space somewhere, you know, and I looked, I was looking at like office share spaces and things like that. And, um, it got to the expense of that per month. And my husband's just like, why, why do we need to do that? Why not just build that shed? You, you know, always been talking about or drooling over. And I'm like, oh yeah, that we could do that. Yeah. So that's what we did. And, um, it's just been wonderful. Uh, well, especially so five minutes after you built it, um, everybody came home, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, suddenly all of them were in my office. Like, you know, the house was kind of my office. And now suddenly my husband's working from home. My kids are schooling from home and everybody's, you know, we're all sort of right on top of each other. And, um, it, it ends up, ended up working out pretty well as far as the school goes, but it's hard to, you know, to make fiction happen when all of these people are in your face needing snacks and, you know, no matter how many even though my husband is great about sharing the work and stuff like that, no matter how many times I'm like, go ask your dad, you know, I'm always the first, <laughs> the first person they ask. So, um, how old are they'll the even come now? out here? <laughs> how old are the kids now? Uh, well now they are 17 and 14. Okay. So they'll be in their twenties old and enough to get their own snacks, but they're still going to call you before dad. Always. So that's probably true. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what happens. But that's fabulous that you uh, got everything all squared away just in time. I know. It's, I, obviously, we didn't know that was going to happen, but it worked uh, out who, really well. Who did? But yeah. I, loved, I loved a phrase that you said, um, making fiction happen. And, you know, what you're doing there is so different than someone who is you know, writing, nonfiction, research, regurgitating, mm -hmm. you really have to create a space and a set of circumstances for, as you put it, your imaginary friends talk to you and come yeah. to life. So can you talk a little bit about that? I'm loving those phrases because I'm so all for um, listeners who, you know, they say 90% of the world wants to write a book. You did it. You did it in, in spades. I mean, you're right. A few times, yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't squeeze them all on the on the slide there. So so obviously, you know how to do it. And that's why I, I'm, I love those little nuggets like, here's how, folks. But making fiction happen and imaginary friends talking to you. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you make that work? Sure. Um, I think the thing, the key is, um, well, I'm lucky in that my characters at least in the series have been with me for a long time and so it's easy for them to kind of come in and talk or for me to overhear their conversations but um it you know the key is just creating that environment where you can hear them because what what I think a lot of is true for a lot of writers at least it's true for me that stuff's always there like it's always in my brain and it's just a question of moving it to the front or moving it to the back, you know, and it's switching that mode of, um, you know, I'm in writing mode versus I'm in, you know, business mode or mom mode or whatever. Um, and it, for 
for me at least, I try to find things that trigger that feeling and trigger that switch. And, um, you know, most writers have a lot of writers, I should say, have some kind of ritual that they do when they sit down to write or, you know, to make fiction. And, um, for me, at least it involves getting the right playlist. Um, I like to make playlists for, you know, for the book, for characters, for sometimes for relationships between characters. Um, and so getting the right music and the right playlist that pulls me into that mindset, you know, so once I start that music and, um, I have these like magic words that I say, which seems silly, but it works. Um, which is that it's time to rub some words together and see if they make a spark. And, you know, so I just, that's like the last thing I do. And then I'm, you know, in it, in the outline and looking at, um, you know, wherever my folks are and listening to what they're doing and stuff. And it's finding those sort of mental triggers, you know, that, um, that help you work. I also do sprints a lot. Um, so writing sprints is a great way, um, for me to shut out distractions because I can, and this is true for, I think a lot of folks, if you can string together, you know, if you can find 25 minutes, um, or even 20 minutes or 15 to just get some words out. Um, and this is, not as necessary now, I think, as it was when my kids were younger, because if I could get them to nap for 25 minutes, I could get some words in, you know, or if I could get them to be, you know, to play a game for 25 minutes, I could get some words in. Um, and that kind of got me to that point where if I get that, that, uh, those triggers and I get in the right mindset, I can just slip in, jot, you know, write a scene or whatever, and then come back to life you know, and, um, and so sprints are very good. The Pomodoro method with, I have a little timer that I set and I even record, you know, how many words I get in a sprint. Cause that's the corporate world coming back at me. Like how efficient <laughs> am I being <laughs> in this 25 minutes? <laughs> I loved let's rub some words together and see if, uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's like starting a fire because really, you know, there are moments and you hope for these all the time when you're a writer, when you, st- you get something and it's a scene or a conversation between characters or um, a new character or something. And it just, it's like that spark goes and it just flows <sighs> and um, it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes it's just work. It's like pulling teeth, but if you can get that and it, you know, if you can get that spark and just let it go, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what you want every time, right? (laughs) It's not usually what you get, but I love that you're goal oriented. You're actually, how efficient am I being? (laughs) (laughs) Always analyzing. You and I are cut from the same cloth. (laughs) (laughs) But I so appreciate that because as I said, I love for people to hear that, you know, fiction writers can be over here and just you know let it flow and others are you know much more methodical and goal oriented and uh i think that that is just fantastic because you know i don't want people to think that their genre is necessarily tied to their personality or their work habits that's very important to know that you can have you know incredibly studious research oriented you know, uh, task analysis type of, uh, work habits and write fabulous fiction. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely not, uh, they're not mutually exclusive for sure, you know, <laughs> and sometimes, um, you know, I, I don't know, I, I pride myself on efficiency. Like I, I like to write it, even though my books are pretty large, I like to write a tight story and, um, and, you know, that's just the way that I work. Like the, probably because I wrote, you know, a bunch of nonfiction books before that about tax software of all things. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, because I have that experience, you know, I have, I, I know how to get through that, but at the same time, you have to have that little bit of magic, right. you know, and, and there's a balance to be had there. Um, at least for me, at, but everybody works differently. You know, there are plenty of extremely successful authors who come in with no plan and just see what happens. And, um, I get a little dizzy listening to them talk about their process because I'm like, I don't understand how you work that way. It doesn't make sense <laughs> to me, but, um, but at the same time, you know, you have, there are moments of magic, like you have the occasional character who just comes in and changes everything and, um, that you didn't expect, you know, I have one character in, um, that shows up in the third book of my series that I knew he was going to show up back when I started writing the first book. I just didn't know I was going to love him so much. You know, he just shows up and the first thing out of his mouth is this wisecrack. And I'm like, Oh, I love you now. Oh, You're going to like God. have to get your own book or something. <laughs> I think you that know. that's so fabulous. And I love hearing writers who sound just so, um, you know, shocked by what their characters do. Like, Oh, Oh my goodness. That was great. That's yeah. Fabulous. Sometimes, sometimes it's wonderful like that, or, or you're shocked with the ending. Like, and you know, sometimes you're writing and you think you've got a lot more to go and something happens. And you're like, Oh wow. That's the end of the book. I didn't know that, <laughs> you know, but, um, but there I am, you know, and uh, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't, but um, you know, I love those surprises along the way. Um, especially with characters, because they, there are some characters that are just capable of bringing delight, um, you know, and, and it's when they change things. I have another short story where a character, the first time you see her, um, her father goes to swing his, to cuff her on the back of the head, because it's, it's historical fiction. It's not a very easy story. And her father goes to cuff her on the back of the head and she ducks. And I didn't know she was going to do that. And now I'm like, oh, well, now she's got a whole story there, you know, and suddenly it was her story instead of this other character's story. And it wow. just, you know, sometimes that happens. Awesome. I love that. Uh, what is next for you in your writing journey? What are you working on now? Um, I have a couple, I have a couple of projects going on. One, I am plotting and um, researching the fifth book in the Once and Future series. Um, I'm working on a short story about one of the secondary characters that's going to be an exclusive uh, for my newsletter subscribers. Um, and then I have a women's fiction manuscript that I am revising. So it is a kind of a spinoff of the Once in Future series, but it's in a different genre because um, it's from a secondary character from uh, the early books. And um, it's going to be interesting. Her inner voice is very kind of snarky and funny. And so that's a, it's a very different book, but I love it. And I can't wait for folks to, to read it. So oh, that's fabulous. And I'm so glad you mentioned your newsletter. Um, just to remind all of our 
um, listeners, um, you can find Meredith's books at meredithstoddard.com. And I dare say you can sign up for her newsletter there so oh, yeah. that you can um, find out all about new releases, upcoming things, and get those special offers and uh, books and short stories that nobody else can get. You'll find there at meredithstoddard.com the Once in Future book series, um, not just books one, two, and three, but four and five and wherever else it might go from there. Plus her other books. I don't know, are the tax books there too? Or is that? Uh... No, those are, <laughs> I don't own the rights to those. Those No, no tax books. Well, that's good. I, I dare say people who are going to your website now really don't want to read your tax books. Probably not that interested. Not that interested, but, but boy, this is a lot of fun here. But uh, cannot wait to, to get the rest. If you're, I have to get on that mailing list myself because now I want to check out these little secondary character yes. stories. Well, I'm going to go sign up right now. And we're at the light. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. It was great talking to you, Stephanie. Authors Podcast. Keep it up and we'll hope to see you again with your next series. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>